Living Room Conversations enable people to come together through their social networks as friends and their friends to engage in a self-guided conversation on an agreed-upon topic. Typically, the conversations have self-identified co-hosts who hold differing views, and they may or may not be from different ethnic groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, or political parties. Get the idea. EPOST invites two of their friends to join the conversation, and participants follow an easy-to-use format that offers structure and a set of questions for getting acquainted with each other and each other's viewpoints. Conversations we find foster new relationships, and they often reveal surprising common ground. The vision for Living Room Conversations is a world in which people who have fundamental differences of opinion and backgrounds work together with respect and even joy to realize the vibrant future we all desire. Living Room Conversations are special because people agree to follow six simple ground rules. It's all stuff we learned in kindergarten, but here's a real quick reminder. Number one, be curious and open to learning. Number two, show respect and suspend judgment. Number three, look for common ground. Number four, be authentic and welcome that from others. Number five, be purposeful and to the point. And number six, own and guide the conversation. So basically, no soapboxing, listen well, and be authentic. And if you look for common ground, people often find it. Enjoy your very own living room conversation. So welcome to today's living room conversation. We are about three weeks out from the 2016 presidential election and things have gotten, you know, well, you all know how they've gotten out there. <laughs> so we're going to have a conversation today about talking politics to really look at what happens when, to our relationships when we talk about politics. Joining me today are Lewis Brown Griggs, Katie Page, Rodney Ferguson, Angela Bailey, and Eric Fogg. And I, of course, am the, the nominal co-host here at Living Room Conversations, Debbie Lynn Molyneux. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we have five rounds of questions. Uh, we're going to start with the, the first round, which is just, you know, what interested you in this conversation? And uh, Rodney, I'm going to ask you to go first. You want to always first... It's a hot topic. It's a lot of fun. Huge consequences for who wins. Here in California, we have a lot of other issues on the ballot besides just the, the presidential nomination. Uh, I'm sorry, presidential contest. And so what else is there to talk about? Wherever I go, that's what everyone's talking about, to be able to talk around a serious-minded people who've actually done some research or looked at this fairly seriously. It's a really good opportunity for me. And uh, I feel like talking in general, and politics is always a blast. But this is just, uh, it's, it's, it's a party for political junkies, but it's, uh, the stakes are so high. It, it, it takes on an air of seriousness that uh, it's overwhelming. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, Katie? Yes, conversation is pretty important for a couple obvious reasons right now. And um, I found that talking politics with people that you agree with is really fun. It's a good time. And when you start to talk politics with people that don't agree with you, it can get uncomfortable and contentious really fast. So I'm always trying to figure out new ways to chat with people that I don't agree with. And, you know, I get that visceral emotional reaction to people that don't agree with me, especially during this election. And how do I fight that and not get so worked up? So I guess I'm just curious to hear about how other people in this group talk politics with people they agree with and don't agree with. Thanks, Katie. Uh, Eric, I'm going to call on you next. 
Hey, so Eric Fogg checking in here from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm excited about this talk because sort of I know whoever wins the election uh, on November 10th, we're going to have to sort of get over, half the country is going to have to get over its like very deep hangover and find some way to move on and, and get along with the rest of the country. And this is probably going to be one of the toughest elections, probably the toughest election to do that since I've been alive for certain. And like the only way, the only way forward for us is to be able to talk politics with each other without trying to, you know, throttle each other. Something we're not great at right now, and something we need to get better at. Great, thank you, Eric and uh, Angela. I'm was always interested in this in talking politics in general, just because it's been so taboo. You know, people have always said it's fine to say almost anything except talk about politics, and I've always been on the other side of it with the thought that how are we gonna do anything or come to any agreements if we don't talk about politics, if they are so taboo. So any chance I can get, I think it's fun to talk politics. Thanks, Angela. And Lewis. Thank you too, Angela. I like hearing that because for my whole life, I'm the weird one who studied our democracy and really, really believes with positive energy rather than irritation that the different perspectives we have actually are not only gifts to one another, but they are examples of the freedom for which we live here. So I never really understand if, if everybody in the far right or far left or any given perspective thought they could rule the country by having everybody else agree with them, we would lose all the benefit of our diversity and our freedom and our democracy. So I love the differences and instead of being threatened by them, they are what enable us to find somewhere, 51 to 49 in between, where we can co-create whatever common goal we have. And I'm assuming our common goal is freedom and independence and democracy. Great, thanks, Lewis. And so this is Debbie Lynn, and what interested or drew me to this topic? Well, it's been like the conversation I've been having now for over 10 years. And everywhere I go, I bring up religion, sex and politics and the one that's the hardest to talk about usually is politics and yet it is something that is pervasive in our lives and so understanding how politics impacts our relationships is, is very interesting to me and i can't wait to, for us to get down to that part of the conversation so we'll keep going here uh, we're going to start with round two now and this is really talking about our core values we can answer one or more of the following questions what sense of purpose or duty guides you in your life? And what is your mission statement? What would your best friend say about who you are and what makes you tick? And the last one, what are your hopes and concerns for your community and or the country right now and long term? Let's mix it up and uh, let's have Eric go first. Hey, so I love this question because I think it's quite revealing. And I think that what my closest friends say about me is that I and sort of a maniac about making systems work. Um, so it's, what I, it's why I got into management consulting. It's why I quit management consulting to get into uh, political reform, because I, I think that like, every system we build has the potential to work, and there are a whole lot of ways to get it wrong. And in particular in government, there are like so many different nodes that can break. And uh, this, this has like become a bit of an obsession of mine. Um, and I think it's something that like all of my friends are acutely aware of and uh, so I'm like occasionally annoyed by because they're like, can we just stop talking about this for a minute? Like, I don't know, talk about the Red Sox. But it's sort of what gets me up in the morning. And 
uh, it's something I've been, I've, I've really enjoyed making that change. <laughs> I saw that, Lewis. <laughs> uh, Lewis, why don't you go ahead and go next? So I think my friends all my life, childhood and adulthood would say that I am a bridger. I am constantly, since I was a child, saying to my friends, oh, but Katie, you didn't hear what Rodney meant, or vice versa, you know? And it's just the way I live. I love seeing, hearing, feeling the essential core of who each person is and hope they can allow me to be who I am and then listen to each other and, and have the space that we share be uh, enhancing rather than depleting of one another's energy and uh, it's pretty much that simple it's my it's the way i live as i say in my diversity training from the boardroom to the bedroom it doesn't matter whether i'm at the grocery store or with my children or my lover or with you or with a client that energy is always the same the only difference is levels of intimacy but the honesty the openness and and enhancing one another's energy as i said is key to me thanks lewis katie Yes, uh, this is an interesting question for me, I guess, you know, growing up, I was always the mediator in my family, and that moved on to my friend life, and pretty much every part of my life, very anti-personal conflict, but really wanting to help you with your personal conflict. <laughs> uh, that's kind of just how I've, how I've always been, and I guess my, the new thing that has kind of been my new calling or whatever is just creating a safe space for everyone that I'm around personally. I know I can't right now create a safe, positive space everywhere around the world. So I really just focus on like where I'm at and people that come into my life and just creating, like I said, a place for positivity and being open about yourself. Cause I do think a lot of people don't have that. Thanks, Katie. Uh, Rodney. That's me. That's me. I think I've become more and more contentious the uh, older I get. Uh, I started off pretty contentious, so it's pretty scary. This group has kind of mellowed me out by listening to different points of view. But, you know, 50 minutes from now, I'll get on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> and, and, and who knows what I'll say. Uh, actually, uh, my wife keeps me, uh, keeps me pretty calm. This election cycle is really... I've been a, uh, an avid Bernie supporter, so I've been kind of blasting both uh, Hillary and, I'm sorry, she uses right name, uh, Trump. And so, so this has been a real lesson for me in patience, trying to bring out a little Buddhist philosophy and a little meditation and being a little more peaceful. So this group has been very helpful as far as trying to be open-minded, being nicer. So uh, this is fun. Now, I'll try to keep the niceness going as long as I can. <laughs> if I veer off, I'm sure you guys will tell me. Do you have any hopes or concerns about our community in the country right now, Rodney? Well, I'm, I'm still reeling from Bernie not winning. I thought uh, he was a candidate who was the most consistent, really had a strong moral core. When the Democrats didn't pick him to run, uh, I was really put off by that. So... I'm still trying, licking my wounds from that, honestly. But the, the upside of that is that uh, a socialist or democratic socialist has never gotten so far as he did this time, I mean, openly. And so uh, it's been, that's been very encouraging. I mean, a large percent of the country is like open to that message. 
and uh, that's been a blast. So, uh, actually, I'm fairly, being pretty optimistic. In fact, you get shot down this time doesn't mean four years from now, who knows what will happen. Great, thanks, Rodney. I'm gonna go next, Angela, and let you go last on this one. I think that if I had to talk about what my hopes and concerns are for the community and, our, and the country right now, I have a, a great concern that after this election, half to two thirds of us are probably gonna be still really unhappy. And my concern is how are we going to come together again? You know, what is it in, in the past, whenever we've had these times of big dissension, what has brought us together has been usually a common enemy, uh, whether it's, you know, was in World War II when Japan bombed us, whether it was the Cold War a little bit later on. And, I, and my hope is that we actually decide that our common em enemy is the division itself and not an external foe. Um, so the external foe has been helpful in bringing us together again, but it would, to me, it would be so much healthier for the world if we actually decided that our division is, is the enemy instead of an actual, an actual country or situation. So that is both my concern and my hope for, uh, for our long-term status as a nation. And I'm gonna leave it there and, and pass it on to you, Angela. I wouldn't said uh, probably when I was younger that my what drives me is is finding justice but now to be absolutely honest it's what drives me is my family and doing whatever I can to make sure that my kids grow up and have um, have opportunities and you know my concern is right now is for my community is primarily economic disparities, you know, and basically how my friends, how my family, how, how everybody's going to make it and how it's the, the gap is just getting wider. And so that's, I mean, that's taking a heavy toll on my thoughts. Um, it plays out in the way I think about uh, our politicians and, and, and who, you know, who I believe is going to be able to help everybody kind of, uh, or who I believe is going to help kind of close that gap. But that's my main concern and, and what drives me most right, right now. Thanks, Angela, for, for sharing that. And uh, we're going to move on to round three now. This round is actually titled, What are your biggest concerns about politics? And we're going to answer one or more of the following questions. And bear with me because there's actually six questions on this one. So the first one is, what happens with your family or friends when a political topic comes up? The second question has political polarization affected your life? And if so, how? Third, how and where should we talk about the pressing issues of our communities and country? Four, what is your family's political identity? Did you talk politics? And if you did, was it a respectful conversation? How do you describe your own political identity? Question five, how would you like political engagement to look in this country? And six, what is your vision for how to depolarize politics? If anybody wants to go first, just give me a wave. Go, Lewis. So my biggest concern about politics has always been ethics or the lack thereof. And, and honesty <clears throat> that not only comes with whether we value or don't value each other's differences, remember, I've already said that, but even the dishonest, unethical way that all too many, most politicians just operate. And I've gone into politics twice because I wanted to make it my life. And I left both times because of the lack of ethics. It, I just, 
I just realized I couldn't even win. I couldn't get your vote and your vote and your vote and your vote and your vote, even if I was telling 100% truth without being manipulative in the positive sense of the word even, manipulative about how to, how to get you to vote for me and now how to get you. And I went, ugh, I, I can't do that. I'll lose my soul. We, we have to all be honest with our differences and value the freedom with which we can be the different selves we each are, okay? So that's the core. And then to go to a specific, as an example, uh, oh, and I'm a, I'm a centrist. I, I, have different, I have diverse aspects of myself. I'm as far left as one can get on human rights issues and about as far right as one can get with my Stanford MBA on some financial issues. So I immediately voted for Obama. How could I not the first time? And the second time in the financial crisis, I immediately voted for Romney because my left brain in the financial part said, let's try, the let's try that way to solve our economic problems. So I've done one of each. And so I'm never afraid to talk about all the sides, even within myself. But in this election, even though there's no way I can vote for a personality and a narcissist, uh, you know, on the right in this case, because he's not honest at all, I'm still willing to look at the dishonest aspects of Hillary. And, and I, I actually would have preferred to vote for Bernie, believe it or not, once all, the, once all the centrist Republicans were gone too, and there was no choice left. And so I sent, I don't send out these emails to friends about the far right or the far left. I have friends on both extremes and, and the stuff from each extreme drives me nuts. I like to hear the balance in the center. However, I decided to send for the first time in my life some of this data that we're discovering about Hillary, not only in the foundation that he and she have done together, but in some of the dishonesty of how Bernie was blocked out. Uh, not just normal politics, but the dishonesty of it, okay? And also uh, other things about the email and Benghazi. And so I sent something, that, that thing called Clinton Cash, which is created by the right in opposition, of course, and yet does a pretty good job of pointing out some of the unethical, if not illegal, things that Bill and Hillary have done with the foundation money, with Middle Eastern money, and they get into the State Department, and then they do a deal in Kenya or whatever, okay? And I sent it to my closest friends, I mean five of them, and my two closest families, my current wife and my recent wife, who's still a friend. And I said, you know, you know that I'm balanced and ethical, but I just had to let you, and I have to vote for Hillary, but I just had to let you see that the things that Hillary is doing, and I, I'm, I'm trusting that in the one place where we can be safe enough to talk about politics together with our intelligence and our values is here in this family. And I got nailed. There wasn't one member of either family or, or one close friend who didn't resist even having the conversation. They don't want to look at that. They said, I'm with her and I don't even want to know the imperfect things she's done, you know, blah, blah, blah. So my biggest concern is ethics and honesty. And question one is I can't even have it. I love living in conversations because it's the only place I can have it because it's the purpose of our being here together. And I don't have one friend or family with whom I can do it safely. Oh, wow. That does sound really painful. I've got you, man. Don't worry about it. All right. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, Rodney, do you want to go next? Yeah. Um, my family is, they're all kind of Clinton uh, D 
Democrats. I mean, Clinton, the Bill Clinton Democrats, and then, of course became Obama Democrats. Uh, I'm probably further left than the rest of them. We we pretty much agree on most everything. So the conversations, my, my pro Bernie stance has been kind of well, you know, that's that's crazy, Rodney. You know, he's kind of the black sheep of the family anyway. It's just not like a, a big deal. No one's giving me a hard time about it. I don't have a whole bunch of far right friends, uh, except on you know Facebook friends. So everything, and, and I live in Oakland and hang out in Berkeley a lot. So I'm surrounded in this cocoon of of left leaning, semi socialist, semi communist folks uh, that I really enjoy, but uh, doesn't really offer me a lot of uh, extra curricular activities. Um, so. As far as getting rid of polarization in the country, however, I, I think Lewis is absolutely correct. Uh, being honest with each other is uh, a good first step. And I think feelings will get hurt. And I think a little, good, strong look at honest history will go a long way. Uh, I saw this movie on, on Netflix called 13, about the 13th Amendment. Uh, totally mind-blowing experience. And I think everyone should see that movie and then start a real conversation about the justice system and what's going on there and, and other things like that. And if everyone has a common set of facts and then going forward, I think we'll go a long way. And so that comes back to education and I'm an educator. So I think that's the, the big, big solution to everything else. Yep. I'll say, I'll say it there. But Lewis, I'm on your side. I'm, I'm going to re reiterate that. Ditto. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, Katie, I'm going to go straight to you because we had a conversation earlier this morning that included the movie 13. I don't know if you want to start there or not, but it, made, it just makes me want to go to you next. Okay. Well, there's a lot of really awesome questions in here. And I've talked about my family before, but I'm just going to go over it pretty quickly again. Grew up in a really liberal Jewish community growing up, and then I moved to a very hard-lined Republican community. And from the get-go, moving to a community that I felt very accepted and just normal to a community where I, I felt like I had to fight the good fight, you know, all through high school, like representing the left and not getting a lot of crap for it, I guess. And then also my grandma, one of the first things I remember her saying to me when I was growing up was, you can bring home anybody, just not a Republican. You know, like that was <laughs> kind of ideas that were into my head and then in Orange County like I said had to fight the good fight my father was appalled they were going on a um, field trip to the Nixon library he wanted to call the school and say that library doesn't sell anything of the bad things he did like they shouldn't be going to that I mean very serious hardline liberals and then I moved to Boulder and then all of a sudden everybody agreed with me and it was boring it was boring that everybody agreed with me on everything. And all of a sudden, I kind of just stopped caring so much about politics because I realized that I do kind of like to have these arguments, I guess, or debates. Um, and I think it's actually really healthy. I think the point that we're at now is not healthy. I think a lot of people in this country are victims to the rhetoric. And I, you know, I hear they're individuals, they should, you know, can control themselves or whatever, but this is really powerful rhetoric that is firing people up in the wrong ways. And I think it's a huge problem. I guess my vision, how to polarize politics. One thing is social media. 
I think they should change their algorithms to not keeping people's views a certain way. So I think a lot of people know about this. If you look at a certain political page, it will start showing you advertisements and sponsored pages related to that. So once your view becomes so narrow, I mean, it seems like it's kind of game over in terms of party lines. So if we can get the general public more exposed to other ideas, I think that would help a lot. I mean, I'm completely grossed out by this election. Like, it just makes me upset. And I'm trying to figure out how I can turn this into something positive post-election. Because some somehow people are just think the world is going to end November 8th when things are going to happen after that. So how are we going to deal with those issues? And as you can see, I'm like, oh, you know, politics, so intense. Duh. But, okay. So for those of us oh, listening yeah. on the radio and you can't see Katie, she's gesturing wildly as she's speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and on the video call, we can see her gesturing. So <laughs> thanks, Katie. Is there more? Are you good? No. Okay. All right. I mean, there's always more. Let's be real. I'm going to go ahead and, and stick myself in here next because I have this story about what happens in my family when political topics come up. And, and this is specifically on my mom's side of the family where, you know, so my parents are divorced. My mom is very conservative with uh, libertarian leanings and my dad is, is wildly liberal. They got divorced when I was two. I have spent my entire life going back and forth between these two different philosophies and have ended up somewhere leaning left with some very libertarian latencies. Now some, sometimes my libertarianism just kind of pops out, but my Two years ago at Christmas, my boyfriend, who is, uh, Rodney sounds a lot like you, he does a lot of uh, fighting on Facebook with people, trying to educate them through Facebook, and, and he's often disrespectful in his manner of doing so, got into a very respectful conversation with my brother, and the situation was my brother owns an automotive shop in, the, in central Missouri, and the food bank had moved to a location directly across the street from his business. And it has impacted his business in a very profound way in that he has fewer customers and there's, a, there's higher theft happening in the neighborhood that, that all started as a result of this food bank opening up across the street. And so Sam, who's very liberal and, and want, my boyfriend, who's very liberal and an advocate for homeless, for the people who are homeless or houseless, as they like to say here in Portland, Oregon, was asking my brother, Sean, like, well, where should the food banks go and where should these people be and how do we help them? And my watching all of this was my mom and her husband and me and Sean's girlfriend. And all of a sudden, my mom, as, my, as soon as my brother like got animated and really red in the face, because he's, he's struggling with, with this because he's actually a very compassionate person, but he's had this profound impact on his own life. And he started actually to tear up a little bit. And my mom grabs all of our coats and she looks at me and Sam and she goes, it's time to go. And so they were not allowed because my mother got uncomfortable with this political conversation. They were not allowed to have it because she was uncomfortable. And so I kind of grew up in that environment where any conflict at all must be avoided and smoothed over. And then you pretend it never happened. The, the, interesting thing that happened later was that when I, I debriefed individually with Sam and with Sean and with my mom, Sam and Sean were fine. They were willing to continue that conversation. And so when I 
talked to them. And then I talked to my mother and I told her that I had asked both of them and they were okay, but she was uncomfortable. She kind of paused and she said, Oh, I didn't know that. I was just, you know, trying to keep peace in the family because <laughs> she didn't want us to not be able to get together again. And it, it really brought me up short because I can't tell you how many times I've said something that would have been similar to like picking up the coats. Okay, time to go. <laughs> and stopped a political conversation. I've been working in politics now for about 13 years, and I don't, I don't do that anymore. But I am aware of that internal discomfort that I have, and I know from where it comes, from whence it comes. And so um, I'm gonna pause there and uh, move on and go to Eric. Uh, I love going last because there's just like so many good thoughts that come you're in. Not, like, oh, yeah, you're not I'll... last. You're not last. Oh, so okay. You know. I love going close to last because I, <laughs> there's so much I get to listen to first. And I was thinking about like, oh, do I want to talk about my family? And, you know, what's interesting about my family very briefly is like we reached sort of vehement agreement on a lot of stuff. And we're all like my brother and my mom conventionally vote Republican. But uh, we like had a big discussion. We were like, yeah, Gary Johnson. He sounds good. And like that was about the end of that. We've like always had we've always had like very interesting and like peaceful, friendly conversations, even when we disagree, which we do a lot. So I was thinking, I was like, ah, that's fine. And so then I thought about like, oh, what's the what's the change like the depolarizing change you want to see in the world? And like obviously this is exciting enough to me that I wrote a book about it. And I heard a couple I heard a couple of interesting things earlier, one of which was like when you're running for politics, it's like hard not to be deceptive. And I think that is like you know, that is somewhat like indicative of the speak that we are, that we're in. And you're like a lot of Congress people feel that they're in this trap where they like have to jump into extreme rhetoric and uh, kind of anti, you know, highly quote principled, anti-compromise uh, type, uh, type stances because they are like worried about getting primaried. Like it's not so much worrying about losing the election once they get there, but they're like worried about someone coming from the right or the left. That's more hardline because like these are going to be the people who are popular in the primary system and unfortunately because they're in a trap i think that they can't be the people that make the change like you can't just demand like progress you need to like be better like you need to be different because like when they decide to be different they're going to lose and so the thing that i you know the thing that i've accepted on is i think that the, that change for depolarizing needs to come from us uh, which is like, it's an icky solution for a system because you're like, all right, 300 million people, like, listen up, you need to be different. Um, which is like a lot harder than asking for 35 people to be different. But my like, you know, how do I think we depolarize stuff? I, I remember hearing earlier, you know, we need to be honest with each other. And my thought that came to that is like, oh, we also have to be honest with ourselves. Because um, I think we let ourselves get like so embedded into our tribe, you know, get really excited about being red or blue that we like allow ourselves to be blinded to reality and we allow ourselves to pretend that the people who disagree with us are monsters, you know, that, that people voting Democrat or like they want this like monstrous government that's gonna crush our rights and um, take all our money and you know, that they're like fundamentally corrupt and they're like really excited about it. And you know, obviously people voting Trump this year, they're like all xenophobes and racists, like that's gotta be the primary motivation I'm sure it's true, even though I've not spoken to any of them. And I think that the, like the tension for, like our capacity to be dishonest with ourselves, to like allow ourselves to create these narratives, these like very comfortable tribal warlike narratives is, is I think the thing that is like most dangerous because I think until we overcome that, 
we're not actually going to be able to look at someone and have a real conversation with them and they disagree with us because in our mind, we be thinking like, you're a monster. And that's just going to obviously color everything we do. So I think that's sort of like step one of this very long road is finding a way to resist the, the allure of polarizing rhetoric that feels really good, that makes us feel righteous. And instead be like, all right, like it's time to get our hands dirty and get messy and learn to stuff and, and break out of our break of our our own very narrow narratives. Thanks, Eric. Save the best for last, Angela. The the first time I remember politics coming into my life was when I think I think I was about six years old and I went with my family. We were living in Richmond and my mom and dad were going to vote for Carter. And they were really excited. And I remember being really excited. I didn't quite know why, but they were happy. And so I was happy. That's what I understood to be politics. And recently, in I think it was the second debate uh, with Hillary and Trump, I, my daughter, who's learning about politics and what's going on in her school, wanted to watch the debate. And so we put it on. And after, like, three minutes, I, I had her turn it off. Like I had to turn it off and I admit it, like I turned off the debate and I didn't want her to see that because, because my concern uh, is that politics as they are, are a bit of a joke. And it, you know, that's how I, I mean, it's a very serious and scary election, but, but it's almost a farce. Um, in my, is how I feel. And I, I don't want that to be her, her introduction to it. So that worries me. And, and my apathy towards it uh, worries me. And, 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 you know, particularly young, uh, well, not young people, but just, you know, folks who are just disgruntled with what's going on and, um, and frustrated that a tool that could be so useful, that's supposed to be so useful, that's supposed to be the way that we share ideas and disseminate information, you know, and then come to agreements, you know, in, in a fair manner is just, is, is so broken. So, you know, and I, and I see that continuing through the generations. And I think, you know, one of the best ways to depolarize this uh, and to start fixing it, which will probably never happen. Maybe there's my apathy, but is, um, is to get rid of the money, you know, as much as possible. Thanks, Angela. Anybody have a kind of a share, a comment, especially from you guys who kind of went earlier, you have any of anything else that you want to say about this? Any other questions you want to answer? One thing that concerns me is the, uh, the gerrymandering and how, how, how detrimental that's been to the political process. I mean, that's one thing that can be fixed, I think, either through the courts or Supreme Court. Uh, you know, they just make everything a block and, and just have, just this is how it is. It's just fixed. You know, you just can't be toyed with by the ruling party because the, the way gerrymandering has left the country is just totally, totally, you know, polarized everything. And I think that's something that just can be done realistically. Well, Ron, I have a question for you, because you are in California. How has the Citizens Commission that redrew the congressional districts, how has that been working in California? Well, frankly, great for Democrats. Um, it's, just, it's just, you know, Democrats have been dominating, uh, at least in the last election. And uh, luckily, the economy has been good. So, you know, you'd have to ask somebody from the Republican side from that point of view. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think it's a good idea. 
but uh, yeah, I think Lewis wants to chime in on that. Um, so from my very biased uh, point of view, I think it's been fine, but I mean, how fair is it really? I'm not really sure. Go ahead, Lewis. From both my centrist and my bipolar, I, both sides, I can't stand gerrymandering. It is totally unethical and manipulative by both parties. Who's ever in charge of it and wins it is still abusing the whole process. So I love your idea that, uh, and I'm irritated by it even when the group I like is winning it. It's still unethical. So I think it should be done by geography or something that makes sense without regard to who's in there and how they're going to vote. You know, it just or by county or something. It gets politics out of it. Anyway, I totally support your irritation with it. <laughs> I, I have to get back to you on the California thing. I mean, I've heard about it, but I'm not, I mean, Democrats have been winning everything, so. Yeah, well, I, I guess the reason that I'm asking is because I know in 2010, uh, I was still a Californian and I voted for that to have the citizens, have a citizens commission actually draw the, the district lines. And I left in, at the end of 2010 and I didn't know how it happened, you know, what happened. So. I, I wish I could give you more information. Okay, uh, well, that's actually, something. In, in result, so. We'll look it up. We, we will look up more gerrymandering. I think Katie wants to say something. Go ahead, Katie. I was just going to say, um, this gerrymandering thing runs really, really deep. I remember last year I had learned about, you know, they have, doing this for a while, they start to build prisons and unpopulated areas to bring up people's voting numbers, like because these people can't vote, but they're still considered part of the census so it's like three fifths that's of like, <laughs> i heard that I, mean, I, I don't know what you said but it's really messed up and so there's obviously a lot of really messed up things happening in this country that need to be addressed addressed that run really really deep another thing i wanted to say is the first time i got to vote was last uh election and i can tell you i was like you know, strolling to the poll, so happy and excited. And now I'm just going to be like pulling my feet. Like, oh, I have to go vote. And I don't know, it sucks. I want it to be awesome and exciting. And I get to wear my little, woohoo, I voted thing. And now it just, uh, now it just kind of sucks. So, cool. I'm so sorry, Katie. I get that. Uh, hey, I think we all needed just a little break. We're going to take a quick break, so why don't you take a moment to stretch, get another cup of coffee, and the Living Room Conversations will be right back. Listen to Living Room Conversations, where we put the personal back into interpersonal communications, here on the Coffee Party USA radio network. I know that when I'm, when I'm struck with this, what I'm calling the election syndrome virus right now, I, uh, I, I go back to looking at animal pictures and videos because it helps me calm down. <laughs> And then uh, get out there and do the good fight again. So I'm going to go ahead and have us move on to round four right now uh, with reflection. And, and we've got a great conversation going on here. So don't let the structure get in the way too much if you guys just want to interact with each other. Uh, but this is another one of those like round four. I answer one or more of the following questions. Uh, there's three. In one sentence, share what was most meaningful or valuable to you in this experience, in the experience of this living room conversation. Two. What new understanding or common ground did you find within this topic? And three, has this conversation changed your perception of anyone in this group, including yourself? 
And I'm going to start uh, with Katie this time. I just love hearing from people about what they have to say about this stuff. I mean, it's really interesting and everyone has a different life story. And I really think it's easy to talk to someone and just assume their life and what like has led them up to how they feel today. And so, yeah, of course I get to learn so much from you guys every time we speak. It's really exciting. Um, and I wish this was happening in person, but that's okay. We're doing the best we can. And Come come back to me in a couple minutes. Got it. <laughs> Will do. All right, uh, Lewis. I always love this, and as I've probably said before, because I've said it often in my life in doing diversity training the last thirty-five years, I don't have one straight white male friend who can do this as comfortably as I do it and who gets it, gets diversity as deeply as I do. I play tennis with them, I love them, I am one, no shame, no blame, and I love this. I want a conversation with human diversity as often as I can so I can just feel the energy and the souls of, of our uniqueness and tolerating one each other, one another, and, and even liking one another's differences. I just love it, I thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Lewis. I'm going to go next here. Uh, the comment that Rodney made a little while ago, Katie, while you were speaking was uh, about being three-fifths of a person, and he was referring to the, uh, all the people that get incarcerated. And I think that that, you know, thank you for that reminder, Rodney. I mean, brought, you know, we did, women didn't get to vote at all <laughs> that, you know, for longer, but there's still this inherent inequity in our culture and a power differential that is not, quite frankly, it's not fair. And I think our country deserves better and we need to continue working, not just working towards that, but demanding that change and that it happens quickly because it's been, you know, almost 250 years now since that initial mistake. I don't, I don't know even what to call it, you know. Travesty. Travesty, okay, that's a better word because mistake didn't feel like the right word. And, it, and it's time for us to you know, figure that out. Uh, I'm, I'm finding that we have a lot of common ground on the gerrymandering issue. It's been on my radar for a while. I don't know which organizations are working on gerrymandering. You know, I feel like there should be some sort of local or national group that is working on this that, uh, that might help move that topic or that issue forward. And I'm really sorry that we don't have a Donald Trump supporter among us today. I think that's kind of reflective of the challenge of our time. Uh, I, have, I have a couple of uh, former, former in-person friends, now Facebook friends in California from the Central Valley, Rodney and Lewis, you won't be surprised by that, um, who are Trump supporters. And I would love to have heard from them today. And so I just want to put that out there as well. Uh, so those are my reflections as we as we head towards closing this conversation today. And Angela, you want to go next? Yeah, I um, I'm I'm just glad that I I've been meaning to participate in a living room conversation for a while. So I'm really glad that I finally made one. Welcome. Um, thank you. More to come. And, and uh, yeah, I agree. I just love hearing different people's opinions. I love people. So, you know, listening to them talk, finding out what makes them tick and how they think, I, I get off on that. Like, so, so it felt really good to hear from 
you know, six different strangers um, and find a lot of common ground um, and a lot of things that I hadn't been thinking about. And I would, it would have been, it would have been interesting to have somebody among us who, who either was a Trump supporter or, I mean, I'm assuming no one is, <laughs> um, and then um, on this call, but I also, um, or having somebody who, who is uncomfortable talking politics or doesn't believe that it's, you know, that it's the proper thing to do or that has a time and place. It would have been interesting to hear from that viewpoint too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I just enjoyed the conversation and really appreciate you uh, having me. Thanks, Angela. I'll try and get my mom next time, okay? Yeah. <laughs> time to go. Uh, Eric, and then we'll come back around to Katie. Yeah, so the, I mean, one of the thoughts I had about not getting a Trump supporter is I know, of the Trump supporters I know, they feel they're like very much under siege by the intelligentsia and the media, that they are like being, you know, vilified and, and painted as monsters. And so I think like what I understand from them is many of them just want to keep their heads down. So like it might even be hard to specifically, uh, you know, if we invite a Trump supporter, it's like, oh, great, cool, time for me to get ganged up on, which of course wouldn't happen, but the like lack of trust uh, in that can be, you know, it's like, it's like pretty understandable. And, you know, obviously that worries me a little bit because I think it means we kind of dig in a little more uh, than we, than we should be doing. That aside, you know, what did I what did I take away from this most? What's interesting is I, of course, uh, also sometimes I live in Cambridge, so I also sometimes feel like I'm under siege. And you know, the fact that I didn't support Bernie and didn't, you know, like uh, sort of sort of in like tentatively going like, yeah, right, Hillary, like it'll be fine, but I'm not going to vote for her, uh, is is like considered pretty unacceptable. And so I sometimes worry it's like, oh great, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to do the thing and uh, everyone's going to be saying the same thing about, you know, the state of our country, the problem with our country is like, all oh, those other people that disagree with me. So I like, oh, I don't know. I always have that fear coming into conversations like this. And I was like, I was elated that, um, that that wasn't the case. And one of the things that I found really interesting is like talking about California and how the redistricting really helped Democrats. Uh, and that that wasn't a good thing or that was not framed as a good thing. And uh, that kind of made me smile because it's so hard to, I think it's so hard to uh, abandon one team and it's easy to tell ourselves narratives that, you know, if you look at North Carolina and the crazy, you know, like the crazy squiggly line there, you know, it's ooh, those Republicans, like, they gerrymander so much. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's easy to keep with that narrative and not see that, you know, Democrats do too in heavy democratic states. Like I remember in Massachusetts in 2010, like 40% of people voted for Republican Congress people and not a single one of them won. It was like 13 Democrats that still managed to go. But that doesn't seem representative. And so the thing I'm really happy about is the, like, the joint devotion to like fair representation and equal representation for like what people, what people actually want and what people actually believe in going to Congress, sort of like regardless of Regardless of whether that team means our team will win or not, is I think is is it brought a smile to my face because the kind of civic attitude that uh, I, I think is a critical for making democracy work. So I really enjoyed listening to all that. Thanks, Eric. 
Uh, Katie said she's good to go, no, no further thoughts on there. Um, so we're gonna go into our final round of questions here. This is accomplishments and moving forward. So we're gonna answer both of these questions this time. Uh, name one important thing that was accomplished here. We've already covered a little bit of that. And secondly, is there a next step you would like to take based upon the conversation we've just had? And I am gonna start this time. Uh, Rodney, I'm gonna come back and pick on you. Fair enough. I think as far as next things, I'm gonna do a little research on California's effort at dealing with gerrymandering uh, from your question earlier. Uh, and then see if that's been successful or, or anyone trying to spread that around the country, if it has been. And getting things out of this meeting is always, uh, always interesting, always fun. I think the thing we learned most is there's a real dissatisfaction with the way things are, uh, the status quo. And, uh, and apparently that's reflected on all uh, political sides. And uh, so that's, I think that's a positive thing. I don't see anyone really nodding their head like, I mean, I really love the way things are. You know? I mean, people love Obama. I love Obama. But uh, there's a lot of work needs to be done. And so it's good to hear that everyone's kind of open to that. So I'll leave it there. Great. Thanks, Rodney. Eric, I'm coming right back to you. Cool. What am I going to do next? That's a great question. Uh, I haven't, it's, oh, um, I think if I, if I plumb myself and I ask myself, like, what's the thing that you're not doing that you should be doing that I think in particular the gerrymandering conversation reminded me of, but also the political polarization problem reminded me of is that um, I'm not getting involved in local politics. You know, like I kind of, I'm glad on Facebook and I'll have conversations with people about how they're voting and, and how they're thinking about stuff one-on-one and Usually people go like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's sort of like I tell people to eat their broccoli and they go like, yeah, now I should eat broccoli. And then they don't eat broccoli because there's pizza. And, you know, I think my, my theory of change doesn't match with my behavior and or at least not enough. And, uh, you know, in particular, like, you know, I just complained about messages and gerrymandering. Well, how do you fix that? Well, you get involved at the state level because that's where it gets made. And I think I need to think more about how are the ways that I get involved. Like I'm sure my state rep gets like all of five people talking to him over, you know, over his term. Uh, and they're all like really loud and, and exciting. So I think that there's more that I can do to actually help uh, rather than complain that like, oh, citizens don't have a voice. It's like, well, you know, your voice is a lot more than your vote. And participating in democracy is a lot more than showing up for two years and going like, oh, yeah, I did minimal research on this. And I'll just vote for the thing that looks good. So I think that's what I want to do next, because I actually want to reach out to my state rep and say, like, hey, let's do some stuff. Great. Thanks, Eric. Katie? Well, the very next thing I'm going to do is eat lunch, but then after that, <laughs> I may or may not go out and hug a Trump supporter. I think <laughs> that's not supposed to be funny. It's true. I feel like that is something that I need to do for Great. myself, is to go out and hug. Trump supporter, or just generally Republicans, or people I don't really agree with, and I'll probably get rejected, but that's okay too. And is Trump still in? Is Trump still in Colorado today? I know he was there yesterday. I don't know, but it's huge. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't resist myself there. I don't know if he's here. Name one important thing that was accomplished here. I like how we've gotten into this talk about gerrymandering because 
I don't think it's talked about very much. And I guess just recognizing that this uh, election it is not the end of the world. For like, it's not. I promise. Like, it's true that you know some things that we might not like could happen. Either way, you know, people are going to be upset no matter what. But it is not the end of the world. And even if it seems like we're not making progress, I think we are making progress because with every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I think we are on our way somewhere, even if it seems like we're, you know, in a handbasket to hell. I think that is the saying. So, yeah, good to be here with you guys today and can't wait to talk again soon. Thanks, Katie. And uh, moving next to Angela. What was most important for me is that I uh, that I attended this meeting. It was uh, this conversation, and I like that there were there was a solution that came up in the dialogue about gerrymandering. Um, there was like a next step in general for the group to take, or for members of the group to take, and it's motivated me to go talk to a friend. Um, or find somebody, uh, talk to a friend or find somebody in my circle or beyond who, who is either a Trump supporter or just um, tends to be on the other side of the fence from, from me on some issues and either host a conversation and at the very least start a dialogue with them. Great. Thanks, Angela. Louis? As I said, my greatest gift is just being here with our human diversity. And I do wish there was more so-called political diversity even than we have. Uh, the extreme differences would make it even more interesting. And my next step, I always say, is I, I wish we did these conversations every week or every two weeks, not every month. I wish we each hosted them and had them with people. I almost would love livingroomconversations.org to somehow create this site or some site through which we can each do this. And, and at the very least, on the next one you host, I think you should ask us to each try to bring in somebody from the right, from the far further right. I'm here over and over again to be a part of these in every way I can and to help more of them happen. Thanks, Louis. Uh, so Debbie Lynn here. Uh, so the one important thing that was just accomplished here, Lewis, is we've been talking about having other people co-host these, uh, the video conferencing and, and, and or teleconferencing living room conversations. And, uh, and so, yes, I think that's, that's very good. And I think the next step should be that we, we talk to anyone here who's interested in that. I am. So I hear Lewis Rodney. I don't know if you're interested in that or not. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and also the idea of pairing, uh, you know, bringing some intentional uh, political diversity into this conversation would be really good too. Angela, I didn't ask you, um, but I saw your head nod a little bit. So I'm taking that as a yes. <laughs> and, and Eric, you'll have to uh, do something verbally because I can't see you. Eric? Sorry, yeah. sorry, on mute. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, just a, I think the last time I did this, it was really fascinating. And I, I learned, as I was inspired. Yeah. Uh, so I'd love to do it again. And I could probably, especially if it's a teleconference, I can get some people from back home. Cause I think if I'm fishing in Cambridge, it will massively reduce the amount of political diversity 
that we'd be getting. Um, but if I'm able to pull people from all around, that might work. And I might even be able to convince some Trump supporters that it's a, it's a safe place. That would be awesome. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think do, the rest I do of know, I know one I could bring who would, who would be happy to come with his righteousness. <laughs> Well, just remember that Living Room Conversations works because there is some open-mindedness and there's a superpower of curiosity and respect in play at whatever level of <laughs> power we have. So I want to just thank everybody today. We do have a feedback form that's on our brand new website, uh, livingroomconversations.org. Uh, if you could uh, complete that for us, that would be very helpful. It'll add to our, our data. Uh, our data points about how valuable these conversations are as we talk to funders and other hosts about doing more. We are looking next year at, or actually for after the election, we're really looking at how living room conversations can help to heal or reconnect us with each other, uh, given the discord that's happening during the election cycle. And we're wanting to take it really big and go to scale, you know, working with organizations and individuals and maybe even businesses and government agencies and cities and municipalities, whoever it is that needs to work across some, some sort of divide uh, using living room conversations as a tool for that. So just a little bit about what our plans are for next year. Uh, and that is concludes our conversation today. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for hosting, Deborah. You're welcome. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This has been Living Room Conversations, courtesy of Coffee Party USA Radio. You can learn more at coffeepartyusa.com and make sure to click on that big red button that says become a member. Coffee Party USA is 100% volunteer and member supported. That's you. So thanks for listening. Make it a great day. <laughs>